How about last Sunday? Anybody remember that? Easter. You guys party well. I, uh, I was really, uh, really stoked that everybody stuck around and had a good time. And some of you old folks in the bounce houses, all that, it was uh, really beautiful. So, um, so, so fun. And as you hopefully know, Easter is not just one day in the church calendar, but it's really the beginning of a season where we, for these uh, seven or so weeks after Easter Sunday, kind of continue to live in this resurrection reality. And it uh, kind of culminates 50 days out on Pentecost Sunday, which will be uh, June 9th this year. And so for the next seven weeks, uh, we're going <clears> to <throat> spend this season of Easter uh, in the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to try to accomplish multiple different things in this journey. Um, the first is to continue to learn how to pray better. Um, to learn to pray more like Christ and to pray along with Christ. Um, but we'll find that throughout this prayer, um, we also gain incredible insights into the character and the person of God. And so in this invitation to a resurrected reality, um, that we found this prayer would be a fitting place to help us center ourselves in his kingdom as his people um, amongst those whom he wants to dwell and empowered by his spirit to be his people in the world. And so we uh, will be in Luke 11. <clears throat> this is one of the places where the, sh the Lord's Prayer shows up, um, along with Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. And uh, hopefully you got the little book to take notes if that's helpful for you. So, um, so the very first verse that Pat read for us, Luke 11, 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And we'll pause there for just a moment. It's kind of a weird way to start a story that Jesus was playing in, praying in a certain place. Um, but the idea is that it was most likely a specific place in a specific time, a time and place that Jesus consistently set aside uh, to pray. And so his disciples <clears throat> are there observing him, and they've watched him over and over practice this discipline of prayer. And then it goes on, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Okay, and so a couple things, and we've, we've spent some time in the Lord's Prayer over the last few years, and so not all of this will be brand new thoughts, but I think that's okay because we need to keep coming back to these really central practices and teachings of the faith. Um, the Lord's Prayer emerges as Jesus' response to his disciples' request that he would teach them how to pray. And there's a few things about that little interaction that I think are noteworthy. The first is that <clears throat> apparently prayer is something that we need to be taught how to do. It's not just something we automatically know how to do, but it's something that needs to be learned. Okay? Um, and of all the other ways that Jesus interacted and taught his disciples, prayer is really the only specific request we get from the disciples going, Lord, teach us how to do this, right? They didn't say, teach us how to fast or how to heal the sick or how to cast out demons or how to teach a Bible study. They looked at Jesus' life and they understood that the power for his ministry and his supernatural presence was somehow connected to this life of prayer, this life of communion with the Father. So they don't ask him to teach 
other stuff, they, teach, they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Okay? Now, this wouldn't have been a weird thing amongst a Jewish rabbi and his disciples. And in fact, the fact that they say, just as John taught his disciples, uh, helps us understand the context. That those disciples of rabbis would regularly go to their rabbis to receive a set prayer a prayer that was meant to be prayed. And so John would have his prayer. Other rabbis would have their prayer, and their disciples would pray it after him. And Jesus now gives his disciples this prayer. And so um, the idea is that this is a prayer Jesus meant for his disciples to pray. And he meant for them to memorize it. He meant for them to internalize it. He meant for them to make it their own prayer. And as his disciples today, I think we still have that same invitation But the basic comforting truth here is that even Jesus' very first disciples apparently struggled to pray. They wanted to pray. They wanted to have a deep, meaningful, consistent connection with God through prayer. But for whatever reasons, they felt like it's just not going very well. I don't enjoy prayer. I don't pray very often. I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. Maybe I feel like nobody's listening, like I don't know what the purpose or point of prayer is. The very first disciples of Jesus struggled to pray, which I find incredibly comforting. And I know many of you would as well, that this is something that we, it's hard, right, to have a consistent prayer life and to feel like we're praying well or praying enough or that our prayers matter or make a difference in some way. Does anybody else feel that way from time to time? Yeah, we all do. And so we deal with it through multiple ways. Sometimes we try and try to develop a consistent prayer life, and after a while we just kind of give up, and then we feel guilty about it for a really long time, and then we'll try again because we don't want to feel guilty anymore, and then eventually we just give up feeling guilty because <laughs> what's the point, right? That's, I'm assuming that's where we are today. And if you're not there, then I'm proud of you, um, but the rest of us need some help. So... <clears throat> Take encouragement that Jesus' first disciples also struggled um, to pray. And so they go, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because prayer is something that we need to be taught to do. Which sounds a little bit weird to us. For those of us that have a paradigm of our relationship with God is personal and individual and authentic and raw. Like, isn't prayer just talking to God? And there is a component of prayer that that is what we're talking about, but the disciples were witnessing something else in the life of Jesus. So we need to learn how to pray. Now, if you don't believe me, we all already have been taught how to pray. I've showed you this before, but if you have been part of a small group in your church life, you know how this works. It's a generic prayer request to generator. (coughs) And so you go around the circle And you say, my obscure relative's acquaintance's vehicle pet body part is uh, ill, broken, lost, troubled, on the land, failing, or verklempt, right? And then you follow up by saying, just pray that God would just really heal, deliver, help, release, shine his face on, reveal himself to, or put a hedge of protection around it or the situation, This is painfully familiar for many of us that have been part of evangelical culture, down to the just pray that God would just really, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so we have these environments or these models or patterns for prayer that have already taught us to pray. They've discipled us, these cultures have discipled us that when you pray, here's the kind of words you use. And God, would you just really do this? Or like repeatedly saying the names of God throughout your prayer. Like, Lord God, we just praise you, Jesus. Father, thank you so much, Holy Spirit, for today, Lord God. Right? <clears throat> and then you say, Lord and God, you get them mixed up and you say, Gord, um, which I've done. <laughs> And it's like, do you talk to anybody else like that? Hey, Mike, good to see you, Mike. Hey, Mike, how's Mike? Like, I don't know why you would do that, but somehow in prayer we do. And it is good to see you, Mike. Um, <clears throat> so just like language, right? How do babies learn to talk? Like, you don't just know how to speak. You don't know how to speak English. Coming into the world, you need to be taught. And you're primarily taught through an environment, through a culture, through influences of parents and family and whatever else. And prayer is the same way, which I know is a, a tricky thing for us. But this uh, is something that <clears throat> Christian thinkers have been wrestling with for a long time. And so let's go back to Bonhoeffer. Um, he says, in making this request, and he's speaking about the disciples' request that the Lord would teach them to pray, they confessed that they were not able to pray on their own, that they had to learn to pray. The phrase learning to pray sounds strange to us. If the heart does not overflow and begin to pray by itself, we say, it will never learn to pray. But it is a dangerous error, surely very widespread amongst Christians, to think that the heart can pray itself. For then we confuse wishes, hopes, sighs, laments, rejoicings, all of which the heart can do by itself with prayer. <clears throat> prayer does not mean simply to pour out one's heart. It means rather to find the way to God and to speak with him, whether the heart is full or empty. No man can do that by himself. For that, he needs Jesus Christ. So, in some ways, we would not be surprised that in 2019, we have an aversion to this idea that I need to be taught how to pray, that I need to learn how to pray, because we like to think just it's pouring out your heart, it's just being honest, it's just talking to God. But Bonhoeffer is saying even in the 30s, in Germany, for crying out loud, people are also going, it just seems too stiff and formal. Right? So I, I get that, and I've wrestled with that. But what I want to propose is that a big part of our understanding of prayer, at least in the evangelical tradition that so many of us come from, is really uh, a lot different than the way Jesus and his, and his first disciples understood and practiced prayer. For Jesus and his first disciples, there were a set of prayers um, that they had given themselves to. And they're called the Psalms. And all throughout the history of God's people, this book of Psalms, this entire book of the Bible, has been the prayer book for God's people. And so Jesus and his disciples were regularly praying the Psalms together. And for us, it's a little bit strange, the idea of praying prepackaged prayers Prayers that we don't write ourselves or compose ourselves or just speak ourselves. It 
has the tendency to feel really ritualistic or inauthentic or something like that. So the question is, what is the purpose of prayer? And there's not just one answer. There are many answers. But we know that the primary purpose of prayer isn't to get God to do what we want him to do. And the primary purpose of prayer isn't simply authentic self-expression. But I think when we understand Jesus as teacher or rabbi and ourselves as disciples, we get a picture that the purpose of prayer is spiritual formation. That prayer is a practice in which we participate with the Holy Spirit in being conformed to the image of Jesus. That we learn to live like Jesus and to relate to the Father like Jesus and to walk as Jesus walked by praying as Jesus prayed. And so the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we want in the world and not to express ourselves, but the primary purpose is spiritual formation. And so the very fact that Jesus prescribes a prayer for his disciples to pray shows us that this is how he sees it. Because just like Bonhoeffer said, I would expect evangelical Jesus, when they say, teach us how to pray, for him to say, just pour out your heart. Just talk to God like he's your dad. Just tell him about your day. Tell him whatever's going on. Now, I'm not bashing that form of prayer, but that's not how he responds. He says, okay, I'll teach you how to pray. When you pray, say this. Say these words. And he actually doesn't seem that concerned with whether or not they even believe those words or understand those words or whether those words feel true to them in the moment. It seems that Jesus thinks that if they pray this prayer, his prayer with him, that those words will begin to become true. That they'll gain understanding and eventually they may even feel what they are praying. And so prayer, as an act of spiritual formation, is an invitation to participate in the divine nature of Christ. To participate in the relationship that God the Father and God the Son have had through all eternity. The nature of the salvation that we have received as we constantly are reminding each other isn't to escape away out of this world, but it's to receive Christ in this world and to be joined together with him in such a way that his father has now become our father, which you'll notice are the first words of this prayer that we'll get to next week. But Jesus is saying, I want to invite you into this family, into this relationship, and I want to teach you how to relate to and communicate with and enjoy fellowship with my Father the way that I do. And so here's how you do it. Pray this. So with the Lord's Prayer then, it's incredibly familiar. In fact, I would say along with Psalm 23, it's probably the most well-known passage of the Bible in all of the world, right? Um, and I think its familiarity is somewhat of a problem for us. It doesn't feel new. It doesn't feel powerful. It doesn't feel fresh or authentic. It kind of feels old and stale. But let me 
just a couple real quick quotes. Rowan Williams, Archbishop of Canterbury, says, if somebody said, give me the summary of Christian faith on the back of an envelope, the best thing to do would be to write our Lord's Prayer. And Tertullian, church father from second century, in the Lord's Prayer is comprised an epitome of the whole gospel. So what we've start to see is that in addition to being a paradigm for prayer and a gift that we receive as a form of prayer from Christ, in the Lord's Prayer is actually contained just about everything that we need to know about who God is and the life that he's invited us into. So our Catholic brothers and sisters call this the Our Father, right? Um, Our Anabaptist, I guess, would be the broadest term. Quaker specifically. Aren't you the Quaker, Jarrell? Or Mennonite. That's the same thing, right? Um, <laughs> they call it the Disciples' Prayer, which I actually really like in the sense that it is the disciples who are invited to pray this prayer, but it's also the idea that this is a prayer of discipleship. It's a prayer that disciples us. It's a prayer that forms our hearts and shapes our thoughts and and changes our affections. And it helps us to grow into the image of Christ. So whatever we want to call it, Lord's Prayer, Disciples' Prayer, Our Father, um, it has been received and passed down as uh, as an incredible gift from the Lord throughout uh, centuries now. So back to this idea that we need to learn how to pray, that praying prepackaged prayers for many of us feels dry or inauthentic or ritualistic or something like that. I want to, again, make the point that this is how Jesus prayed. And all throughout the, the gospel accounts, we get glimpses into Christ's prayer. And there are what you would call spontaneous or improvisational, improvisational prayers, but they're totally um, buttressed and informed by the prayers of the Psalms. All the way through, Jesus is constantly praying the Psalms. And so the Psalms is the one book of the Bible that's not meant to be read. It's meant to be prayed. And it's hard to describe the difference, but you know it when you're doing it. For Jesus, praying the Psalms was central to his constant communication with the Father. He continually is praying the Psalms. And even in the most painful, tragic, desperate moment of his life, as he's nailed upon the cross, as we looked at on Good Friday, you would think in those moments would come the most raw, original, (laughs) improved prayers. But out of Jesus' mouth comes the Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What that shows you is how deeply his spirituality was shaped by these ancient prayers that when you cut him open, he bleeds the Psalms. So it's not an original prayer. I would argue it's even better. It's a true prayer. It's an authentic prayer. 
We'll see that the early church often also gave themselves to this practice. In Acts 2, 42, description of one of the earliest communities of Christ followers, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And the prayers is the best translation of that passage. Oftentimes it just says to prayer. But the prayers is specifically what the author is talking about. So what are the prayers that the early church devoted themselves to? Well, it would have been the Psalms for sure. It would have been the Lord's Prayer. would have been something that they regularly prayed during worship. And we also know that they were beginning to compose their own prayers, right? That they had um, songs and psalms that were arising out of the early church that they then would pray together. So a lot of the times... Some of the pushback towards liturgical prayer or praying prepackaged prayers that it feels phony or inauthentic or shallow or ritualistic, we only apply that to prayers that we speak as opposed to prayers that we sing. So we, every Sunday, we gather here singing prayers. And I, for one, am thankful that we actually have the lyrics on the screen and we all sing the same lyrics. Um, you know, every once in a while we go Korean style, right? And just everybody sing your own song. But for the most part, there's something really beautiful and powerful, powerful about a community of people coming together, being formed by these prayers, by these songs, and raising them to God together with one heart, with one mind. And so we see our worship songs in the same way that we see our prayers as well, that they, in addition to other things, they are shaping us. They are shaping us. They're forming our theological imagination. They are creating within us a heart that hungers after God and desires his life in our own. And so Jesus prayed the Psalms. He prayed prepackaged prayers. The early church did this as well. And then now for 2,000 years of church history, so much of the life of the body of Christ has been shaped by the prayers that we've received and that we practice. And so one, one final quote, C.S. Lewis says, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. So Lewis understands at the heart of the Christian practice of prayer is this invitation to formation. That we're not trying to change God and to get him to do what we want him to do, but we are praying to be changed. To be changed. And Jesus gives us this incredible gift. And so that's why we're spending uh, the next seven weeks unpacking this prayer line by line, um, asking that it would become true of us, that it would become uh, our thoughts, that it would become our will, that it would become our, our attitude and our posture before the Lord, that we could learn to participate in the relationship that the Son has always had with the Father. And so for me, it's been a journey of several years now of learning how to pray um, again. I learned how to pray that first way a long time ago, but learning how to pray with Jesus and receiving the gift of the Psalms and the Lord's Prayer as an anchoring set of practices. And so um, in terms of practice for these next seven weeks, I want to invite you to, to pray the Psalms. And you can do that however you'd like. I recommend just starting with Psalm 1, doing one each day. And I recommend praying it out loud. 
um, and maybe even do it two or three times to familiarize yourself with the, <clears throat> the heart and the language and everything that you'll find in there. And what's crazy is when you get to the Psalms, um, there's a lot of really angry prayers, right? And there's a lot of like, Lord, I hate that guy and I want you to kill him and smash his kids and that sort of thing. And I'm like, huh, this is our paradigm for prayer? Like this is what we're supposed to be praying like? And it is in the sense that it teaches us don't carry your anger and bitterness around. Carry it to God, right? It also helps expand our understanding of what it is that God is up to in the world because, to be honest, I don't have any enemies personally that I want their kids to die. I don't. But if I was an oppressed slave and had been persecuted and had all my family killed and murdered and all that, that's different. And so I start to understand that prayer just isn't about me, but it's about all of us. And it's about all of God's world coming back together under him. So I encourage you, practice praying the Psalms. Pray the Lord's Prayer every day. Um, and, and the second thing is, typically when we pray, the posture we've learned here and you have on your artwork is head bowed, eyes closed, um, hands folded, and it's fine. But do you know the most common posture we see in Jesus' prayer is standing and looking up? Right. Um, so mix it up. Try it. Um, or oftentimes we find Jesus and his disciples walking and praying as well. And so um, our hope is that these will be seven weeks of, of praying together and some specific ways that we're going to learn that together and then other ways of just going, God, how, how can I participate in the relationship you're inviting me into? And our hope, again, isn't to change God, but it's that God would change us. So would you stand and we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together? My Easter gift to you is two short sermons in a row. <clears throat> and let's not just read it, but let's pray it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.